Kerry, home to some of the most creative, intelligent, culturally diverse and articulate people this country has to offer. Unfortunately, they were all busy. So, we got stuck with this lot. Recorded live in Murphy's Pub on Brandon Pier. This is the Murphy's Podcast. Episode 3, the Murphy's Podcast. Well done, lads. Episode 3. Here we go again. Cheers. Third time lucky. Clink, 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 clink. Right. Been a mad old week. Yeah. I've been the sickest I think I've been in for, forever. I've, I'd, I, I got a, kind of like a flu and then I got laryngitis. My voice completely gone for, for four days. Not a, Couldn't even whisper. And in your job, Tony. I know. And I need it. Yeah, I need to have it. And I, I, was, I was actually doing a voiceover demo with someone today. I train people to do voiceover work as well. And... Uh, yeah, I had to direct somebody all day today with half a voice. The woke up this morning, the voice was gone again. But I've never had I've never had laryngitis before. Properly, I've, I've lost my voice before. I've had like a croaky kind it's of a voice. Strange sensation, isn't it? I couldn't even hum. Mm. There was nothing. Like I, I wake up in the morning, not a sound. I could only barely whisper with the very front part of my mouth. It was, it was concerning, and I always kind of wonder, like, is it is it like how bad would it be if you lost your sight? Yeah. I hope you've lost your hearing. Mm. Jesus, if you lose your voice as well, I'd never, I'd never even contemplated. You make so much of reliance on it. Of course, for everything. I suppose the only thing is, you like you have hand gestures in, so you can just go. <laughs> two pints. <laughs> <laughs> All the importance. Yes, I was. <laughs> How will I say two pints without my voice? I love the, I love the priorities of this like podcast. This. Yeah. I know this doesn't translate well in a podcast. Yeah, not really. But I have my two hours stuck in here. So did nothing. And then I was because of I, I was just being mad busy and work. Just lots of stuff on at the minute. It's great. And uh, yeah, so just trying to work, and I couldn't take a day off. Yeah. So I was just working the way through. Just yeah, plodding along. How about you guys? Um, yeah, something similar. I was kind of uh, feeling a bit run down myself, actually. Mm. Um, it must be this podcast. It must be. Well, it's a kind of time of year as well, isn't it, though? You kind of change the seasons, gone from the summer into the, into the winter. I've got to be honest with you, I've never felt better. <laughs> <laughs> I feel... F- no, I did I did have the cough uh, two weeks ago. I, th- I honestly think I might have gotten No, you didn't. I you th- only get laryngitis from shifting something. Oh, it's well, 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 well. I couldn't lie. You never did get it for me. Remember I dropped you home? Yeah, yeah and you shifted me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you kissed me outside yeah. the house. Yeah. At least you could do. Oh, boys, that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, yeah, so an interesting... You might week. have, I'm sorry, if you did. But it's a little. Because Julie was sick as well, wasn't she? She was. Yeah. Did she have to like? It was. It was like a really bad flu and then a head cold. Yeah. And I, I, again, I couldn't get in to see a doctor, so I ended up having to do like a consultation online with them, well, on the phone with them. Yeah. And uh, how would you do that if you can't talk? Olga did it for me. My oh. wife. Uh, she yeah. So she had to go on the phone to her doctor, and, was, and because I don't have a doctor in Kerry yet, it was really oh, hard okay. for me to get yeah. in. And they wouldn't even let me in to see them, so I had to do it over the phone. And oh, then no. I was on uh, antibiotics for a week, and yeah, just mad stuff. And I never get sick. I never. That never usually gets sick. It might get sick once every four or five years. Like mm. it's properly bad. I still can't shake it. You're still feeling a bit. I'm two like weeks into it now, and it's still. Like, yeah. Do you know when you like moved to another country, you're probably more susceptible to whatever is in that locality. Maybe you picked up the <laughs> Kerry bug off the sheet. Yeah, yeah. I've been here three years now. It must be <laughs> fair enough. It's, it's a slow action. It doesn't work. The Kerry bug is lazy, but when it comes, it comes. <laughs> see, see that. <laughs> Yeah. Actually, the last podcast I spent because I edited afterwards. I spent cutting you out. Cutting me out. Coughing. Loads of coughing. Yeah, I was. Loads. You're you're coughing and him and I'm cursing. cursing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to put my hand up. Yeah. Apologise all the listeners. Pen- 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 me coughing. My yeah. cursing. Yeah. Like, I think I mentioned this in the first episode. That Tony is a whiz at editing. Thank, <laughs> yeah. thank God. I cut out half of it. Yeah, which that still doesn't help. <laughs> still not uh, half enough. Should we put a like um. Parental guidance Disclaimer. sticker on the front of it. Just gonna have to do something. So this, okay, I haven't. Did, I didn't do trigger warnings last week, which I did the first episode. So this is the trigger warning. We are drinking in a pub, and he's gonna be cursing lots of yeah. like cursing. Yeah, get over it. No, I'm actually gonna make a, a concerted effort tonight to not curse. Okay. It could be like uh, I, I yeah. primary school teachers. They uh, they've learned how to. Judy kind of did this. My wife was a teacher as well, but instead of saying. Fuck, you go, oh, flipper. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got all these, because you've got kids, you get learned, oh, gully gush gush. Yeah. Oh, shit. Get off that seat, Patrick. <laughs> You're not supposed to be standing on it. Gully gush. Like, yeah, a, yeah, like yeah, an yeah. episode of Batman from the 70s. <laughs> Ow. Yeah, so today is, is, is the first episode that we're going to have a guest. Yeah. At some point, yeah, Billy is going to turn up. So, so Billy McLean, uh, so Billy is... Um, residing in Dingle but from Limerick originally mm-hmm. he is married to a uh, great singer musician Murni Cowleaf alright oh, okay and uh, yeah I don't know but obviously Billy will fill us in when, when, when he lands but um, 
Yeah, he came down here as a non-Gwailgor. So he yeah. didn't, didn't So he learned Irish here, did he? He learned Irish wow. here, yeah. Because I was listening to yeah. his Irish the other day, and it's brilliant. Oh no, his Irish is, is yeah. It's, it's off the hook. It's, it's as good as, like, as, yeah, Jesus, that's good. It's as good as you get, like, you know. And, and how, uh, long, how long has he been living here for his Irish to get that good? Like? Well, he's been living here a long time, but his Irish got good, like, you know, he was he was here a few years, but like, he just has that kind of a brain, he puts yeah. his brain to it, and that's it. He's he, a, he he's a it, very like, interesting you know? fellow, though, like, I've, I'm looking forward to chatting to him. Because, uh, yeah, he does, if, if, if people might be familiar with the Pagan Raven Dingle, yeah. that's, his, that's his kind of his big yearly thing, which is, a, it's just, it's gone phenomenally big now, which is, uh, they all get dressed up in old Pagan stuff and recreate right, Pagan yeah. music. I think they were in, like, Body and Soul this year, Gosh, and yeah. a couple of the kind of bigger bigger festivals that kind of grew. I remember going to the first one of those back in Dingle, and it was out the back of, it was a small venue, it was the first year of it, yeah, obviously, yeah, he didn't really yeah. know what to expect, but, like... Again, I don't want to be talking too much about it until Billy gets here, yeah. but just to give you an idea. <laughs> Billy's coming along and, yeah, we knew that already. <laughs> Gary told us this. Fuck off. Oh, flipper. But we might have, we'll be finishing, we'll be finishing the end of Billy's sentences. And then you, and then I did a pagan rave. We know, we know. <laughs> yeah, I went back, I went back as a spectator, actually. And, uh, it was mad. I'll never forget it, man, because it was it was it was a kind of an evening like this. We're just, we're sitting in the pub looking out the window here. It's kind of dark skies and yeah. w- wintry, and um, it, it was it was set in like a there's a church in the middle of Dingle Town. Or, no, sorry, sorry, the Presbytery. Okay. I think it's a Presbytery, and there's all like graves and stuff in the in, in the grounds of it. And that it's quite kind of tribal kind of a place, like you know what I mean. It's um, just has that eerie feeling about it or whatever, but. Uh, Anyway, the setting was there, and um, so yeah, basically it's a big group of people wearing pagan outfits that Billy hand makes, by the way. Yeah, and they're all like they're pretty intimidating yeah. looking, you know. And then it's kind of set to like um, they have uh, a, sound, a soundtrack, basically. Mm-hmm. It starts off really tribal, and it kind of builds up over time, and by the end of it, it's like a it's proper rave. It's a proper rave. Yeah. But like I'll never forget, there was a tree in the middle of the grounds, and it had at the time that there was no leaves on it at this point so it was just bare branches and it was covered in black crows it was almost like it was a prop for this <laughs> for this yeah. evening like you know and uh, at one point a lot of the crows took off and they've this like it wasn't an effigy out at the time it was just a big bonfire in the middle sure. and they're all dancing around it it was just it was really Proper tribal pagan. Like, yeah, yeah it was really tribal it was it was amazing it was amazing i nearly cursed there again <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and it's just grown from that. Again, look, Billy will give you more details about it when he gets here. Yes, but yeah. I, I, did, I heard him on a, a podcast about it pretty a couple of years ago and talking about stuff. And yeah, he's just a very interesting, mm. interesting guy. Speaking of podcasts, who do you listen to? Who do I podcast? Yeah. I listen to Tommy Hector and Loretta Blue. I can't mm. listen to him on his podcast. Which which went uh, him, Hector or Tommy? Both the treat him, actually. The treat him, yeah. Only because I, only, I listen to podcasts when I'm on the plane or on the yeah, train. Yeah. And I keep laughing out loud. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I can't. I look like a lunatic. It's they're hilariously funny. They're brilliant. Like I just, I honestly can't. If I'm in public, I can't just stay away from them. Like they're awful funny. They're brilliant. Top tip: you just get big headphones so everyone knows you're wearing them. Because <laughs> yeah. you're wearing the AirPods. It's like what's your man but laughing at? No, see, the thing is, you can get away if you laugh a little bit and you go. <laughs> but when you're crying, laughing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, just, yeah. And then even when you stop listening to it afterwards, it, it's still the residual joke is still in your head. <laughs> And it just yeah, it just carries on. I can't. You'd be walking in the street it's crying great. afterwards. It's I have to admit, I've, I've I have listened to it. Obviously, I don't listen to it religiously, but yeah, any episodes I've, I've uh, listened to, yeah, it's, it's good crack. I like the banter between them. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I love those guys. And I love Kevin. I love PJ and Jim and Nova in the morning. Yeah, yeah. There's so much in it. Like mm. I'd be crying, laughing in the kitchen. Do you know if, yeah. if my son gets up early yeah, and and mom doesn't. Mom, what was saying? Mom, Julie, my wife doesn't know. Uh, <laughs> the, that's a Freudian moment there. <laughs> Definitely deserves a curse. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what are you doing, Kerry? But, uh, <laughs> for us, uh, I mean, we, so many places you go with that. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> those counselling sessions are going to be long. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be crying laughing at them, and then I go on to Dermot and Dave at nine o'clock. Yeah. Crying laughing at them. That's so. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, Two Johnnies who laugh, laughing at them as well. Not crying, laughing, but he'll be laughing a bit. I haven't really listened to two yeah, Johnnies. So now, yeah. like, I, I know I've heard that they're massive, and they're doing like they're doing arena tours and all that kind of stuff now. It's like well. sold out like the three arena. Yeah, or something. Well, like uh, three arena. Did, that's impressive. And they're doing a massive uh, field gig as well. Right. So back home in Tipperary, Musgrave Park or something like that. Wow. Yeah, right. yeah. So massive. Well, here we Here's go, Billy. 
Vinny, how Here's are you? He's a man of the moment. So so Billy McLean, how are you getting on? I'm Tony. 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 Is this Tony? Are you living in Dingle? No, I'm living in Ballyfarshire. Oh, right, okay. Out west of Dingle, yeah. Good bit outside Dingle, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're originally Limerick, yeah? Yeah, but I had the very good sense to marry a Kerry woman. Good so man. I'm living deep in... How long are you down? Uh, we're here 10 years now, I suppose. All oh, right, okay. That's, yeah. you're, that's You're local now. How long does, we drew, we had the, did we have this conversation? Three generations. Is you're it three? more than 10 years, Billy, now at this stage, are you? Well, I'm coming down on and off. I'm, I'm like, uh, I first met Maureen, my wife, was from Dunquin in 1998. So, okay. All right, yeah. That's yeah, how yeah. far back it goes. Like. Yeah. yeah, we're just saying, but so, like, just give the people who are listening or because we were trying who's listening in his we, bedroom we were we were trying to guess <laughs> your background and stuff and uh, yeah sure doing an awful I'll job reach out to all your listener would <laughs> <laughs> you say hello to me ma would you yeah but at least listen to this would she oh I don't know she's very <laughs> she's you. very used to hearing me pontificate around the house so I don't think she needs any more content from me um, no I'm Limerick originally but yeah, we're living here full time now with ten years. I live here on and off as well, down over the years. But mm. um, I was in Limerick years ago. I went to art college there for a year, um, but it didn't suit. So then I went to Dublin and I studied in UCD. I studied archaeology and folklore, and then I st- we came back to here after I finished my degree there. Mm-hmm. Lived here for about a year, just over a year, and then went back to Dublin and did a PhD in folklore studies. Wow, where is that? In UCD as well, okay. yeah, where the National Archives are. Yeah, yeah, and then I got into tutoring and teaching, and then I ended up teaching in UL and Mary Macleod College. We were living in Limerick for a couple of years. Yeah, are you still doing that? Are you? Yeah, I still do that. I I lecture in Irish studies, so it's kind of yeah. folklore, archaeology, history, that kind of thing. Um, depending on the semester, depending on the course. But at the moment, I'm teaching and have been for a good good while now with an American college who have a campus in Dingle. They're called Sacred Heart University. Their home base is over in Connecticut, but they're they're putting down some pretty serious roots in Dingle. Really? They're after buying the old uh, monastery. That's right, yeah. Is Dingle. that the big building on the top of the? Yeah, oh, and, yeah and they're okay. in the process of renovating that and modernizing it. And yeah, I was wondering because that's a that's a big waste of a building. It's such Massive, a fucking huge mm. place. Like mm. how many students are, they come over for X amount of months in the year? Is it just a semester at a time? Okay. Yeah, or sometimes that they come over at short courses as well. So um, it might be a two week intensive course in yeah. the winter or in the summer. Um, but for the most part, I teach the the full semester with them, so they're they're over here. So is it folklore or what's your different things? I, I there's one of the courses I teach, which is basically prehistoric religious traditions. So okay. we, we look at sort of ancient tombs and burial practices and customs and right, what evidence have we have for rituals. Locally, um, yeah. there's not there's not a huge amount of information about stuff that is from here. I can't because when I'm if I look at my house on Google Maps. I can see ring forts all around it, and like when I look at my front garden, it's like a twenty-foot uh, mm. standing stone. Mm. But there's no information. I can't kind of seem to gather a lot on it. You just need to know where to look. Yeah, where do I go? Well, the first thing you do if you live in West Kerry at all on the peninsula is yeah. you buy, if it's still available, the archaeological survey of the peninsula because this is one of the most comprehensively surveyed mm. archaeological um, landscapes in Ireland. Um, it was Coppage and another group of archaeologists who surveyed the place and they wrote a really comprehensive um, survey of the whole thing. So you can search it by era, you can search it by yeah. monument type, you can look at all the ring forts for example. Yeah. But another re- couple of really good resources that I use all the time would be heritagemaps.ie. Oh right, okay. So yeah. Heritage Maps is real simple to use. Um, you you can just zoom in to wherever you are or you can type in the townland and it zooms in for wow. you and you can switch on layers yeah. then class um so what you can do is you can turn on the archaeological survey and that puts red dots all over the map of where everything is and when you click on them up pops a little indicator it'll tell you its number on the sites of monument register it'll tell you a little bit about it most of that is actually taken from the archaeological survey because it's west kerry based stuff occasionally you'll get a link to an archaeological report um, and photos and things like that, but it's actually it's pretty it's really good comprehensive kind of it's great look at the landscape. But what you can also do is it sort of gives you a default map of kind of ordnance survey style one where it's just like outlines and drawings, but you can switch on layers, mm. so you can switch on satellite imagery yeah. and see physically what's there now, or you can switch on old maps from the from the nineteenth century, so you can see what was there well, hundred and fifty or more years. You might realise that you're living over it. Yeah, a graveyard. Yeah, I've discovered yeah. loads of stuff that yeah. well, I didn't know was there at all. Yeah, because my, my house that I have, is, uh, we reckon it's about two hundred fifty years old. 
and it's uh, yeah, it's one of the first farmhouses supposedly up on that that area supposedly, and uh, yeah, I went back and found the, the census from 1901 census. Oh yeah, there's yeah, 13 yeah. people living in the house. Like, wow, it's wow. Wild. Wow. There's only two of us now, and it's still not big enough. <laughs> so, yeah. That's mental, isn't it? Incredible, like. What, like, obviously, modern technology over the last however many years has just made that whole process of discovering these places much easier. Like, with, with, with Yeah, it makes preparing for, a f- for field work or preparing for going mm. out into the field with students, it makes that really easy. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, nothing beats physically getting in there and all the prepping that you do. Yeah. And all of the Google Maps and Bing Maps and all of that kind of stuff, nothing beats boots in the mud and climbing over barbed wire fences and all that kind of stuff. That's what it's really about. You get a real feeling of, I don't know what it is, over my way especially. It feels like a retreat. It feels there's something... There's something strange about the way the land is and stuff. Again, you can see all the forts and where they are and the standing stones. and Hmm. There's definitely some different energy source yeah. over there like, and you don't you don't you'd never you'd never get that off a map obviously seemingly i was i was reading a thing recently about frequency and that there's sound in the land mm. sound that we can't hear it might be 13 octaves low yeah like say that the lowest note in the universe is b flat but and but i don't know if it's connected to the pagan stuff or anything like that but this is this is a bit off course and I'll, I'll bring it back. <laughs> this is a bit off course. This is very I'm afraid to go to bed the song yeah. here. Yeah. Well, do you know, there's this pigeons, right? And uh, they're in France for this kind of competition thing. And then they'd all come home to England. Sure. And uh, the, no one never really knows how to do it. How to find their home, how to find their place. Mm-hmm. Not that... But right they're, 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 yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Rose laid for the checking, and they can't can't check themselves in on the phone. The pecking, the, the, the pecking. Yeah, oh but but can one we, time can we edit that out? Oh, that's gone. That's that gone. Yeah. That was really <laughs> <hard>. <laughs> <laughs> but they said that uh, seemingly new, relatively new research is that you can pigeons find they can hear stuff that we we can't hear. Mm-hmm. They can hear very low frequencies and. Uh, once, once, one, I forget the year, but it was when uh, Concord was flying over, right? Concord was flying over the, the uh, English Channel, and uh, the frequencies were so high and powerful that it confused the pigeons, and none of them came home. Right, and okay. no one knew what was happening. No one knows what was happening, and I think they brought it back to that moment. Yeah. And people were saying, oh, they were afraid. They were afraid of the, the, the volume, but it wasn't that. It was just yeah. it was the frequencies that the, that the, the planes set out. And it was the first time, not, I don't think any pigeons found themselves home, so the reckons because they couldn't hear the score at the sound of the natural sound of the land. But that kind of brings, in, yeah. in, in not in probably maybe the next podcast we do or the one after, uh, we're going to get somebody to talk about the plane crashes on Brandon Mountain. Oh, yeah. And yeah, the fact that yeah. there's, there's, there's been three in the same spot. Like within, and it was within the space of like six years or seven years. What did I reckon? Was some II. kind of like interference? I don't with know. The well, it was navigational, so like it's something happens, and so there's some energy there, or there's something that's made these planes crash. Like that's not yeah. like, that's too much of a coincidence. Maybe it was the first bit of land that they hit. Where were they coming from? Or well, one was a German reconnaissance plane, and they were off the west coast, and they came in in bad weather because they're, they're, they're just to get away from the f- turbulence, like, and they accidentally landed in Fahe Ridge, and then the second one was a. Uh, Second was a, was a was a postal plane from it was bringing back uh, post from uh, POWs. Okay. And the third one was a was a one of those airboats, and it was carried. I think it was like sixteen people died in it because it was it was a mm. passenger plane. Oh. But again, it was within that same period of time. It was just like within it's ten like years. The Bermuda tri- Bermuda but Triangle we're of Kerry. We're gonna have the, uh, <laughs> hopefully somebody in the Brandon Triangle. Yeah. I go missing. Well, it's gone. It's just where we live. Yeah. It's just where we live, Julie. I can't explain it myself. It's a strange area. Oh, no, actually, actually he's in Murphy's. Cardasani <laughs> 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 Boom got stuck in Murphy's for three days. The amount of lads that went down in this place, lads, it's, it's untold. Do you remember being up and being like pure worried about the Bermuda Triangle and being oh, like, yeah. why oh, yeah. aren't we doing anything about this? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the hell is but going on to this day? Then been. you grow up and you just realise, oh, yeah, it's not even a thing. Yeah. It's yeah. just statistics. Well, Unsolved mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to what you were saying there, Billy. What's so on the Dingle Peninsula? What's like? What's the oldest infrastructure on the Dingle Peninsula? Would it be Gallers or is there something no, older no, than God, that? No, there's much, much older than Gallers. Okay. The oldest, yeah, the oldest thing that we have is um, it's a Mesolithic site. It's a place called Ferreter's Cove, which is very close to the golf club in Ballyferreter, 
Um, was the golf club there at the time as well? Or? <laughs> oh no! Sorry, I, I just can't. No, no, no. that one's in. And the public no, no, no. that one in. Uh, yeah, that one in. Yeah, I'll, I'll stand by that one. Um, the oldest spot that I'm aware of is a Mesolithic site. So Mesolithic is it's the Middle Stone Age, is basically what it means. When, what year is that? Like, is that um, in Ireland? The Mesolithic is anywhere from the end of the Ice Age. To, and, and the jury's out at the moment because it, um, because of new findings as to exactly when people were first present in Ireland. Um, there's some very interesting data coming down the line about that from UCD, but I'm not fully au okay with it just yet. But it goes up to about 4,000 BC. So you're talking about before 4,000 BC. And Newgrange is 5,000 BC. No, Newgrange is 5,300 years old. So this is much before Newgrange. Wow. Yeah, wow. so Newgrange was built in the Neolithic period, the yeah. New Stone Age, when agriculture had come. So yeah. this is before the coming of agriculture to Ireland. Wow. Um, but what you can see there is, um, you can see there's a horizon in the sand dunes of shells. Okay. And basically what it represents is people who were coming to the coast um, in summer and in autumn, and they were fishing and they were gathering shellfish and they were eating them. And then they would dispose of them in the same place over and over. and eventually the shells accumulated and they became what's called a shell midden mm -hmm. and that was covered over by sand dunes but then in, in the 20th century it was rediscovered and they took some samples from the charcoal inside and they dated it and they realized that this was a middle stone age campsite basically a place where people were coming feasting oh, wow. foraging um, you probably heard the term hunter-gatherers, but in, in Ireland it's probably more appropriate to call them fisher-gatherers yeah. because most of their Coastal. protein in their diet came from fish, oh, it yeah, seems. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be the pattern anyway. Would, would they be classed as like, would they be like nomadic people that were kind of just moving up and down the coast or would they have been stationary in one place for a while? Um, they might have had some seasonal movement, all right. You know, uh, We don't have very permanent structures built, but th there's there's... One example, there's a couple of places, Mesolithic places, that we have excavated. Um, Mount Sandal is probably the best known of them, which is in County Derry, and that shows evidence of occupation over a number of generations. But whether they live there all year round or not is difficult to say because mm. fisher gatherers and hunter gatherers, they pursue strategies of that sometimes require them to move to different places yeah. at certain times of the year just to follow where the, the food is available, yeah. you know. Um, but what's very interesting about uh, Ferreter's Cove in West Kerry is that they found cattle bone inside in the midden mm -hmm. and cattle are not indigenous to Ireland we don't there's no wild cattle here or anything like that so they were domesticated cattle which represents the presence of agriculturalists some sort of farming yeah. some kind yeah. of farming but it's generally about 500 years earlier than you find farming in most parts of the country Oh. And at, at that particular time, did I know like was was Ireland an island as we know it now, or yeah. was it connected to anywhere else by? No, it was an Asia? island. It, it probably okay. had a lower coast, or a low, yeah, the coastline might have been a bit further out because the polar ice caps were melting at that point and the sea levels were rising. But by the time of the um, the camps that we find at Ferreters Cove the coast was probably close enough to where it is now. So there wasn't a land bridge at that point. Ireland was definitely cut off. It's part of the reason why the indigenous fauna that we have here is much more limited than you get in Britain, and they're much more limited than, get, than you get in the mm. continent, because Ireland got cut off, so you don't have a lot of the animals. Travel, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah they didn't make sense. it all the way across. Yeah, Whatever yeah. about St. Patrick, but we reckon <laughs> the snakes didn't get here uh, before the water rose. But there's a lot of, a lot of mammals and stuff that are not native to Ireland, um, and even red deer, which are, you know, we consider red deer yeah. to be a native species. They haven't, as far as I can tell, they haven't found any bones of red deer that predate the coming of the farmers so the farmers could have introduced them as a wild animal to let them go into yeah, the forest yeah. and be there like a resource that they can hunt the presence of the cattle bone represents something quite interesting there um, so it's an encounter between these vastly different ways of life and there's different ways that we can imagine that this encounter happened they, they could have been farmers who sort of had showed up 
you know and want yeah. to farm the land and that kind of thing and they may have been partially successful but it didn't take off for whatever reason maybe they didn't come in enough numbers maybe they went native and gave up their farming which is something we know that occasionally happens from the historical record we can see people moving in and out of farming strategies um, or maybe they caught a disease from the hunter-gatherers or the fisher-gatherers or maybe the fisher-gatherers attacked them and killed them or something like that we don't know um, but what we do know is that farming whatever this initial sort of pioneers introducing farming here in West Kerry almost 500 years before anywhere else on the island it didn't take off now maybe Amazing. maybe is, the fisher gathered is that because the fishing was so fruitious here we don't know is that the right word we like don't they had so much access abundance. to like to yeah. abundance, abundance. Of, of a lovely word. seafood that they didn't need yeah. to yeah maybe but mind like animals. They, they were it's almost certain that they were a different people anyway completely um, we know from the genetics of the Irish fisher gatherers um, versus the agriculturalists that the agriculturalists were a separate population mm. but later when farming does establish itself uh, a friend of mine who has been doing excavations in the burn he uh, was telling me about they found somebody in a tomb in one of these farming agricultural uh, community tombs that they were constructing like the passage tombs the yeah. court tombs that we know of in other parts of Ireland and one of them had a, a, a grandparent who was part of the hunter-gatherer community so we can see definitely there was some interaction between the two yeah but it happened a lot earlier in Ireland or in West Kerry and exactly what it represents we don't know like if you could imagine fisher-gatherers who weren't practicing agriculture suddenly they see this big beautiful animal yeah mm. And they say, well, let's hunt it, because that's what we do when we find big mammals. We stick spears in them and yeah. roast them over the they fire. They kill the reproduction. Yeah, so, so maybe maybe like they, they were just hostile towards the farmers yeah. for whatever reason, you know, because they didn't think of any other way. But who knows? Um, Alison Sheridan, who is a, an archaeologist, has been looking at, the, mainly looking at the introduction of the Neolithic in Scotland, but she talks about Ferner's Cove, and she talks about the potential different types of encounters that you have with these dramatically different ways of life mm -hmm. but it's, it's fascinating to think that it, it all kicked off here in West yeah. Kerry and it's it amazing. kicked off earlier that's unreal yeah. so yeah especially so when I'd imagine sorry Gary no carry on but I thought you were going to do one of your jokes no no <laughs> no <laughs> so called jokes <laughs> I was like this isn't the time to bring uh, up for this no 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 it's actually it's amazing that sorry no no it's okay. amazing the way oh, he's well, it starts around here in the peninsula, like farming. You'd imagine mead would facilitate farming better, better. Do you know, or even yeah. Or well, let's not forget that it didn't take off. It didn't work. Yeah, so. yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But Ireland, clim you know, climatically, it was probably a bit different then. But also, the landscape was vastly different. Would have been forests, yeah. a lot more yeah, forests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. We know from the the palynology when they they take cores of soil and, they, and mm. they look at what pollen was present at that time. They know that there was hazel scrub or hazel forest going right up to the coast there, and that's almost okay. unimaginable nowadays mm. when you look at that landscape. It's so barren. It's like when, when you look at the like the peninsula is made up of sea r rising to mountains like yeah. it's not really conducive to like farming animals I suppose would that be well it's pretty good now you know but we've been at it for 6,000 years yeah. we've been yeah. sort of reclaiming the land so the people that were, were around in those times where did they come from were they well, are, are you they European are you, that came across? Was there any, yeah, I mean, where did they? Where is the origin of people? The Mesolithic people again. The question is, is it out on the Mesolithic people because essentially. The, the genomes of the Mesolithic people, the, the Irish Mesolithic people, doesn't really survive in any significant numbers nowadays. We see tiny traces of it present in the, in the Neolithic population, um, but you find combination of features that you don't get anymore anywhere on Earth. So one of the defining features of the Mesolithic people was dark hair and blue eyes, and dark hair and, and skin that was probably significantly darker than it is nowadays. Right. And then the people that came after them, the agriculturalists, they seem to have their origins in the Middle East. And again, genetically, they're quite different from the modern Irish population. Mm. Um, they were considerably darker of complexion as well. But uh, I suppose at least that those, those are still combinations that you get nowadays of like brown, brown eyes mm. and, and darker skin and, and black, black hair. Um, so the agriculturalists at least we know sort of came up in a wave the precise origins of the Mesolithic people I, I don't know um, and I, I'd say we probably need more samples in order mm. to sort of get a handle on them but we do know that there had been people present in Ireland 
or sorry, in, in Western Europe and definitely in Britain in what we call the Paleolithic, the Old Stone Age. This is yeah. the time period that we most associate with the Stone Age, which yeah. is following herds of tundra animals like reindeer yeah. or mammoth. Um, and sort of hunting them with spears and living in caves and painting on the walls and that kind of thing. Um, at the moment, there are some suggestive examples of reindeer bone which look like they have been cut and carved by humans. Um, and they stretch back into the Paleolithic, which means that there was people present. If, if these are what we think they are, um, there was people present in the Paleolithic when Ireland then was a lot like Greenland is now, like heavily covered in ice flows and you know the actual traces that they could leave on a landscape like that would be minimal and that's mm. probably why if they were here we find such little trace of them um, but there was people moving around at that time and they would have been spreading uh, from from Europe and this isn't up to date data now but I'm just remembering off the top of my head that at times of glaciation that there were refuges that pockets of people were surviving in and I think there was some in the Pyrenees, I think, like that, maybe. But look, uh, I'm not, the, the, the short answer is I don't know, and there's m people much better qualified than I am um, so to, to tell you that. You're but kind of, you've got, you, you kind of have your, the way I see, you've got your foot in two camps. Obviously, you're, you're archaeology, but you're also a PhD in folklore. Yeah. Where do they cross over? Can you, can you define that one is, like, that it's folklore, that it's just a story that was made up or brought through traditions? Where yeah. does, is there any crossover around here? Like, yeah, I mean, there's. I mean, the perfect example would be ring forts. Um, there's rarely a ring fort in Ireland that doesn't have some kind of story or notion or tradition attached mm. to it. Um, what folklore says about a thing and what archaeology says about a thing are often quite different. Um, but you know, the folklore is usually much more recent, and it sort of represents people in recent centuries' attempt to understand the past and interpret the past in different ways. So. The example of ring forts is an interesting one. Most ring forts date from uh, between 1,000 and 1,500 years ago. Um, and they were built during the early medieval period. And they were primarily homesteads. They were homesteads of farmers who had a bit of land all the way up to maybe kings. Some of the ring forts, we think, are royal residences. But they got abandoned or people stopped using them or stopped building them. In, in many cases, not in all cases, um, around the 10th century or a bit later. Now, we know some of them went on and, and there's evidence of occupation in ring forts up until much later than that, but a lot of them became abandoned, maybe, let's just say, a thousand years ago for a round number. And then they lay derelict and became overgrown. And superficially, ring forts look similar when they're abandoned in this overgrown state that we all know them nowadays. Superficially, they look like an older type of monument called tumuli, or, or basically the burial tombs of the prehistoric period so passage tombs or barrows yeah and those for all kinds of reasons have supernatural associations with them the, Primar the fairy forts kind of thing yeah yeah. yeah so people people had superstitious or folk beliefs about them and therefore all of these secular places these ring forts I mean, we call them forts they're not really forts at all they're just fortified settlements yeah. if even that but these secular places become associated with these places that have a bit more juice to them, a bit more supernatural kind of beliefs attached to them. And in the folk imagination, they're all conflated. So there's at least 40,000 ring forts that we know of, and there's another 10,000 wow. that we have records of. So that's why there's so much... That's why the, the fairies essentially inhabit every corner of Ireland. Yeah. But it, just close that window behind you. <laughs> <laughs> what I find fascinating about that is, so obviously they're all different parts of the country, different mm. regions of the country, but stories are still quite similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it doesn't matter yeah. if it's up north or, or from the west yeah. to Kerry, the stories are kind of aligned. Yeah, they're, they're what we in folklorists would call um, migratory legends. So a legend, as opposed to a myth or a folktale, a legend usually has a realistic type of setting. Whether the thing that happens in it is realistic or not, it's set in this world. It's usually people or places that are actually named, as opposed to like a folk tale. A folk tale happens long ago in a land far away, yes, with, yeah, with witches yeah, and dragons yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, but legends then are, you know, here in the parish of Lechouch, if you go down to, you know, 
this such and such a townland you can see the fort there and about 70 years ago or about 100 years ago or about 50 years ago there's always this nice round number yeah so but they have a realistic setting yeah. and then you might have an encounter with the supernatural or something strange or a historical figure or whatever it is um, that can happen but they're given a, a sort of a realistic type of setting and then these legends once they become established um, they can often what we what folklorists would say they migrate they move mm. these motifs can someone likes the sound of that yeah. and, it, and it moves onto the like Norse Norse legend it's not it's that is that the whole Lord of the Rings is based on Norse Norse legend isn't it myth rather than legend myth, actually is myth yeah, is myth, myth, yeah, myth yeah, has yeah, a different sorry. character to it myth yeah. myth is more like narrative sacred narrative or narrative about sort of very important things myths are often stories about gotcha, that are yeah. told um, concerning the things that a culture or a, a group find important. Myself and Fred had a good. Remember the night we had a chat about the Valley of the Mad in here? Oh, yeah. And we went up the Flanding Elf. Flanding Elf, yeah, it's so, great. But Fred's whole thing was he, wa- he wanted to get in and stick his Mickey into it. That was his. <laughs> Have you that's, Mickey? A whole, that's a whole new myth. But he went, he went looking the following day to find it as well. So yeah, well he's, he's making it well. Oh yeah. What what is the again? But like that's obviously that's a that is a myth as well. Or is there, is there? There might be a mythic undertone to some aspects of it. There's a connection to a smith and a cow, which have sort of resonance with myth. But um, and the the the, the, the <coughs> stories like. Could you tell us, just because people listen won't know, sorry, like a bite-sized version of what that is? Well, just, just briefly, there's a well there, and local tradition says that it has a cure for madness. Like so many of these wells, you can yeah. just thousands of holy wells all over Ireland. Holy, holy, yeah. holy, holy wells. Holy water and will, will or, cure you. Or curing wells. Not all of them are holy. Um, but this one, it is said that if you drink it, it will, um, it will cure your madness. And they said if you leave mad people to wander no i don't like using the word mad i suppose it's it's not very um, that's a dated word yeah, yeah yeah but this is this is how yeah. it is the, the irish word is the, the galt yeah um anyway so we'll we'll use mad for the sake of convenience <laughs> and they said if you leave them to wander they'll eventually make their own way no matter where they are in ireland they'll sort of wander the by roads until they find their way to glowning else and then they will drink the water and they will eat the water cress that grows there i hope they get there before fred does yeah Yeah, well (laughs) (laughs) at least it's running water (laughs) Um, but there is a story uh which comes from uh the battle of entry which is a medieval text and that talks about uh, Vulcan, who was a king who made his way, he went mad from the battle and he made his way and his madness was cured. So it kind of it got locked in through that sort of um, literary motif or that, that, that piece of literature from the medieval period. And, you know, there's this complex interaction all the way through Irish history between written word and oral tradition and things moving from written into oral and vice versa. Mm. So they sort of, they bolster each other and they allow things to, to persist and change over time. Do you have any particular favourite kind of localised folklore story from either this region or any other part of the country? That there's a very interesting story near me um, in a place called Rahanan. Uh, it was documented by Jeremiah Curtin, who was an American folklorist. Now, he wrote it down in English, and I don't think his Irish is very good, even though he spoke a lot of different languages. But I won't, I won't go into it in detail, but it's, it's, it's an abduction legend. And these abduction legends are, are frighteningly common all over Ireland, um, about the fairies abducting people and taking them into this other world. Mm-hmm. And there was all kinds of reasons why, um, you know, newborns were particularly vulnerable to it, women yeah, in childbirth. Mortality rates and stuff would have been massive. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be a, a coded way of speaking about infant mortality. Yeah. But... Uh, also, really good hurlers, really good musicians, uh, really good football players could sometimes be abducted by the fairies and taken into the other world. So, uh, I'm I'm intrigued by that idea and you know this notion that people used fairies. And again, for people not familiar with the concept of fairies, you know they're not the little girls with wings that Disney would have you believe. They're big, big and bold like the rest of us. Um, you may have encountered a fairy for all you know, how would you tell? Um, but it was said uh, that they would abduct people and take them into the other world for all kinds of different reasons. Um, and I'm intrigued by that notion and the way that it was used to discuss difficult concepts. And it was an encoded way sometimes of talking about, in a metaphorical sense, very difficult 
concepts mm-hmm. are very tricky kind of topics. Yeah. yeah. And there was there's times when people could be telling a story and you know, for example, women might tell a story of the fairy supernatural encounter and the men in the audience will read it on one level and the women in the audience will read it on another level because they know what's being alluded to that may not be mm-hmm. men's business or at least it was a way for people to talk about uncomfortable things. But that that notion, this it's, it's an in- intriguing story of this woman um, who got abducted and y- you can go to the site it's, it's, it's a, a very rare example of a castle in a ring fort so the castle from the 15th century and then the ring fort's much earlier than that mm. you, know, co- you know hundreds of years older than that but there's also what we call a souterrain which is a kind of a tunnel that leads down under the earth and it's f- you know it's got thorns and things but you can look at it and you can see this tunnel in literally into the underworld um, whatever that represents I don't have the bravery because it, it goes down very narrow what and then it goes off in under the ground what kind of size hole you oh you're talking about like I mean the, the hole is big but it narrows down to a point which is about a metre wide and it's no more than 30, 40 centimetres high anyone ever tried yeah. to go down well, there? well like you couldn't it, op- it opens up again Not yeah. you couldn't quite stand up but you definitely could climb you could climb under that tight point and you could be inside Yeah. but uh yeah. It wouldn't be advisable for all yeah. kinds of reasons, <laughs> but that just it just adds a depth to the story. Like there really physically is a sort of of course an yeah, entrance yeah. way into the into the earth. So I just did a fitting for the Tommy Turning show yesterday, and uh, I went up a size and everything. So I'll be staying away from that hole for a while. Do, like, Faith, really do. <laughs> stay away, stay away. <laughs> I think uh, if you spin in classes, and I'll, I'll head around then. Like so. Yeah. Do you believe in any of the kind of superstitions or folklore? What I believe or don't believe is completely irrelevant to the story yeah uh so um it doesn't matter that's what i always tell people it doesn't matter what i believe or don't believe uh i like the answer that the old woman gave when she was asked you know do you believe in the fairies and she goes no no i don't believe in them but they're there yeah 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 yeah, yeah. look make of it what you will you know of course Uh, would you believe in like the spirit of the fairies if you know what i mean there's a the i Maybe not the actual physical idea of fairies, but there's a spirit that does take that can take people, and 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 go, and that's the and they use they use the fairies through folklore to do that. But you know, even for for mental health, do you know, like for for depression, people say the fairies took them or something yeah. like that. You know what yeah. I mean? So that yeah, are, so uh, we, like we say, they're away yeah. with the fairies. Like so they're physically what, here, mm, but their yeah. mind is somewhere else. Completely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're you're totally right. I mean ideas about mental health um, are clearly being discussed sometimes in fairies you know rapid changes in personality mm. somebody won't get out of bed they, mm. they completely just change who they are and fairies were a way of explaining that or they were a way of talking about it in a way yeah. that was sort yeah. of socially acceptable or trying to make sense of it so like I'm intrigued by beliefs of all kinds and I'll always study them um, but you know where I fall on the on the scale of belief is, not. is irrelevant. Is, yeah, it doesn't matter. But you know? it, it's clearly had an impact. Like my, my uncle has a farm over near Onaskol, and uh, like he wouldn't be religious or spiritual by any stretch. But there's a fairy fort in, in one of his fields, hmm. and he's never laid a finger on it. Like in all the years, he just you know, and that in itself says that there's some some reality in it because yeah. okay, you might physically see it, but it's there in the background people are just afraid to mess with it you know so it, it does have some kind of um, I remember uh, like I find it even like if you don't I find it very ex- exciting to hear about you know that it's it's uh, and not even in a, a fantasy world you know what I mean like just in a, in a to, to see like I've, I've never realised how much folklore can uh, was talked about as a as as a as a catalyst for people who might be like dealing with depression or something like that you know like so I've only realised that now like and it's and in a way, it's quite exciting to hear it. You know, it's uh, like I remember as a child, uh, and uh, it's a slight, it's a slight, it's a slight detour here. But I'm uh, going to uh, the Giants Causeway, and I went twice. I went when I was six, and I went back when I was to do some filming a few years ago. But the first time I went was all about Cucullin and the land, and you know, and it was all, all the mythology was was part of the land. So I believed it, of course. Sure, if this was said, and at one stage it was like, do you know that island that you can see between Belfast and Scotland? And mythology had it. <laughs> so like, he picked up a load of land and threw it. You know, yeah. and like, well, there, I can see it. That's, Rattling, that's yeah. exactly that's so exciting, you know. And then, uh, and then I, I came back a few years ago, do Republic Italy thing, and and uh, we 
we went in and it was like there's more money put into Giants Causeway and there was more screen, LCD screens and all this. It was all about the basalt years of things. So like, oh, a part of me is like, the crack's taken out of <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I kind yeah. of felt give a bit me like the, that, Give me the know? story back. Yeah. yeah, give us the other stuff. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. uh, I I'd be a fan of both though, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I think you could, when you study how stories work and, and how beliefs work and that kind of thing, it's almost like an analytical way of, of buying into the stories. Yeah. So you can you can study stories in an academic way too, but it does allow them to persist, and it does it gives you an insight because it's so easy to wave your hands at these things and say, oh, you know, that's all, yeah. that's only pishogs and that's only mm. nonsense. Mm. And like we do live in a modern, rational, scientifically based world now, but if you can understand what people were at and that they weren't illogical to think in this way, in the absence of a good explanation mm. for why you have a dramatic change in somebody's behavior yeah. you know there's an internal logic to folk tradition there's an internal logic to legend there's an internal logic to all of it and once you can sort of look at it through that lens it allows you to say okay well stories of Finn McCool and the giant and all like these are 19th and 20th century mm. interpretations of something sorry I was Finn yeah. McCool it wasn't Cuckoo yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but you know that that's just one way of interpreting it and this basalt cooling is another way of interpreting it and it's all like if you think about the landscape anyway the landscape is built up in layers you have stone age you've bronze age you've iron age you've medieval you've modern period and it's all just layers and it's all laid on top of each other and it gives you a very beautiful complex tapestry when you kind of weave all of that stuff together you know there's no I don't think it diminishes the, the Giant's Causeway in any way to realise that it is these beautiful columns yeah. of basalt. Like, just that visualised, you know, that visual of basalt coming out and cooling, that's powerful yeah. and strong. Um, and, you, like, you couple that with the story of Finn McCool and the Giant lay, laying these cobbles. They're all ways of looking at the world. Do you know what? What I want to say, you're, you're spot on. I just wish we had a bit of both the second time we came around because yeah. it's all it's all it's science too now. And it's very yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So away from the kind of archaeology and the folklore and the, you are very well known around here for the pagan ravens, all of that kind oh of. Oh yeah. Kind of, where does that where does that sit into? I mean, it's an artistic outgrowth of yeah. my academic studies, I suppose. Um, just because again, people that might be listening that haven't got a clue what it. What what is it? Oh, again, in a nutshell, like. Do you know, I I never like explaining it. I always yeah. just like saying, just come, yeah. just come yeah. to yeah. it. Yeah. I was trying to give just before you arrived, just before you arrived, Billy. I was trying to give the lads a little just uh, my experience because I remember the first one you did down yeah. the presbytery in the, yeah, in the middle yeah, of town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you remember the, the, the tree in the middle with the crows on it. Of course, it, it, it was yeah, just it was yeah. like a prop. It was just it was yeah. some so tribal man. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an experience. It's a massive experience. It's yeah. an attempt to give the illusion of ancient rituals and that yeah. kind of thing and and again if you create a space where we can all buy into it for a couple of hours yeah. then there is a kind of an internal magic to it first and foremost it's an art piece it's that's what it is it's it's an attempt by me and all of my friends and all of the people around here to pour our creative energy into creating something which i mean first of all it's a huge amount of fun to do but also it gives us an outlet f for interpreting things like not only the past but the way we interpret the past so like you know we don't really know what ancient pagan beliefs were like we don't really know what ancient pagan rituals were like but it's really fun to try and imagine and to pull yeah. in all kinds of things so like i do a lot of study about this kind of stuff and i draw from what we think happened as best we can but we're filling in the gaps so much and we fill in the gaps with things like stories medieval um, accounts, uh, recent folklore, which actually is some of it is not that old, but people kind of imagine mm. that it is. So we we let on. But is that that kind of brings you back to what Fred was saying then about the the basalt and stuff? It's like you see, he wants to have the facts, but he also wants to have the story and to feel that. Yeah. So when you go there, you feel like you're part of it, as opposed to just being told it. Yeah, and very often the kind of things that we do in these ceremonies, uh, if that's what they are, I don't really know what you want to call them. Events, performances. There's all kinds of different ways of looking at it. They're they have their own reality from when they start to when they finish and if you just suspend this belief the same way you would in a play or the same way you would but there is there's a bit of something to them as well you know what i mean and people who are composing stories in the past people who were devising ceremonies in the past you know it was all originally someone made it up at some point along the way now they're trying to achieve something yeah. and like 
<coughs> what you see in medieval stories as well is they were trying to imagine what their past was like and creating a sort of a mythological or a supernatural atmosphere in which these stories took place and as often as not they were trying to say something about their contemporary culture yeah and that's what we're trying to do too in a way like in these things because you know we're looking at modernity and and it it, it this digital virtual world in which we live in and sometimes it can be good to deliberately upend that to yeah. get analog to light fires to Love it. put up animal skins yeah. and yeah. dance around them who cares what they used to do in the past this is what we think they might have done in the past like hollywood tropes and all of that are uh, are just feeding into it as much as, as some, so sometimes it's about giving people what they think the past was and then in other ways it's about subverting that yeah. a bit as well because I, I buy into it completely because I'm a writer and as well as just drinking pints in a pub and that's kind of what I always try to achieve is have some sort of factual background no matter what I'm writing about that there's some fact to it but then you, you put in the human experience on top of it and that's where story comes into stuff that's what I think the Pagan Rave is about yeah, is letting you be in that position to f- experience it once but I kind of think like what's, what's like so enchanting about it and like uh, captivating is looking at this spectacle and going is this what it was actually like yeah like is this is this the feeling that these people had because it like it's completely you said it like you get lost in this hour and a half you kind of forget about everything and you're just mesmerized by these rituals and the fires and mm. just the costumes and it's yeah it's 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 yeah, fascinating my favorite to watch thing about this is, is the fact that everyone's like the people that are masked inhibitions go out the window then you just all really of a sudden feel yeah. that you can do anything you're a different yeah. person you become a character yeah it's great love that and a big part of it as well is trying to cover up the identity completely so a lot of the masks um, cover the face so that you don't know who it is you genuinely don't know who it is and there's times when I don't even uh, I might be the only person who knows who everyone is but I don't know who I am all the players well that's a big part of it too guys later in the night yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know I'm one of the lads but I can't remember which one yeah yeah um, so yeah I mean it's it's serving a modern need that we have yeah. you know what I mean but, but part, part of that then as well is that you, you reimagine yeah. instruments and stuff isn't it yeah some of them yeah 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 we, I, 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 I've rebuilt some copies of ancient instruments and then just ima- uh, making up stuff as well you know yeah. what I mean uh, did I'll you bring anything with you tonight Benny? no no okay no, that's fine we might, we might do another one again yeah because it'd be interesting just to hear okay, so one of the questions I had for you, I had for you was um, when you're making these instruments obviously mm-hmm. there's no recordings of any of these instruments so you, you no. don't really know what they sounded like so yeah. you're just you're, you're you get a piece of timber you hollow it out or mm-hmm. you add some strings and mm-hmm. you're hoping and I presume, I presume it probably does sound similar enough does it have a dare uh, you say a, a tempered modern day tonal structure to it like or is it is it well, it depends. Some yeah. some of them knows the absolute answer, but uh, some of them, like the, the horns, are lip read instruments. So, like they're just based on the internal diameter of the instrument. Yeah. Um, so you you blow and they do what they do, and that's kind of it. Um, I have made some stringed instruments, which are approximations of what I think they might have been playing in the past. But who knows how they strung them or tuned them? Particularly, like when you're going into, like I built a, a lyre, and and we have the bridge of a lyre from the Isle of Skye and that's from I think it's a couple of centuries BC mm-hmm. might be the third century BC so like that's really old and we've no idea yeah. what scale they were using this is centuries before anything to do with music was written down yeah. in this part of the world so you can only guess and what, so were, much they, of it is what were they using for strings at, at the time Billy? Were they using you like can use horsehair which gives you a kind of buzzy type string or you can use gut which was okay you know the string of choice for yeah. a lot of, of things we know that medieval harps in Ireland much later than this lyre bridge but maybe a thousand years ago medieval harps um, were made out of wire they had wire strings and where did they get wire from was that was that manufactured back then yeah I mean we've we've had wire since the bronze age okay gold wire mainly yeah um, but wire I've, I've made wire myself um, wire you, you basically you, you get a little ingot of metal and you hammer it if if it's iron based you, you heat it up and hammer it if it's copper based so if it's copper alloy which they probably were you heat it up quench it and then hammer it and you repeat that process heat it up quench it hammer it. so you make as much of a rod as, as you can and then you get what's called a draw plate which is like a piece of hard metal with gradually decreasing diameter holes which have been drilled through it so you pull it through 
with the pliers essentially you pull it through and it, just keeps and it gets it. longer Whoa. and narrower and then you taper the end you again you have to anneal it that's the process of heating and quenching it to make it soft but you gradually pull it through smaller and smaller diameters until you end up with a long piece of narrow metal and that's that must take what a wire forever is. yeah that's a yeah. A lot of jewelers still do it, you know. I was taught how to do it by a yeah. jeweler who does it with silver, so it's it's not that it's not that big a it's deal. Not that like, crazy, yeah. No, it's not. Um, getting a good draw plate would have been the trick for them, you know, making a decent draw plate. Mm-hmm. Like you can make draw plates out of steel now. That's what modern ones are. But in the Bronze Age, was probably quite dif- difficult. In the medieval period, they were probably making them out of iron, you know. Um, if it's that's just the amazing. Way. How did like it's fine for you to sit here and explain that process, yeah. but how did they come up with that day one? Like, yeah. how did you come across that? Like, it's well, just bonkers. Like, you know, knowledge is cumulative as long as you can keep passing it on. So all you need is one genius per generation to come up with something like that, and it just gets added to the the pool of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's people were every bit as intelligent as they are in the past, and you had your your geniuses back then as well. Just ticker we're getting, I'd say, is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Cheers, yeah. I clink, clink. Well, it's thicker you're getting when you're swallowing pints, isn't it? That's for sure. We're, we're, what's unusual now, I think, in terms of technology is like we're absolutely surrounded by technology that we have no idea how it works. And like up until the 20th century, like you had, apart from like clockwork and stuff like that, but most people were surrounded by technology that they had a fair notion of how it worked. So yeah, whereas now, like, we're, like you're talking about wires, right? Yeah. And yeah, we're yeah. sitting here talking into microphones oh, yeah. that, yeah. that are made up of wires, and, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and all this started from the period you're talking yeah. about. How are you with technology? Do you embrace it? or? Are yeah, you I'm pretty up to speed on it. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't chase the newest anything, but yeah. I use technology to make my life easier at every turn. Like, yeah. The whole thing about going out to find a, um, a field monument, like spending hours researching it on the internet, is absolutely my sweet spot. You know what I mean? But then you sort of, sort of you undo or not you, you counteract all of that digital world by actually going out and doing and, it and feel being there. Yeah. Would would you if you went out looking for archaeological sites? Would you bring like? Electronic equipment, which you'd see what's underground, or is it more of a no, no, oh god, no, steaky kind of poly kind no, of thing? No, that's next level stuff. No, yeah. like that, that's proper surveying, and you'd need a team. And like I just to be going out visiting places, yeah. you know, on my on my own or with students or with friends. Um, nothing major, nothing hectic, but if you're going out doing proper surveying, like geophysical survey mm. and stuff, that's proper professional carry on. Um, one of the things I really like about Ireland's attitude to our heritage is that there isn't money in it. So like metal detecting and all of that. That's, illegal, that's yeah, illegal, isn't yeah. it? And is it but, really though? Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's founded on what I think is a really good premise. Yeah. And that's the notion that if stuff is like a couple, over a certain age, I'm not sure exactly what the age is, a couple of hundred years old, it doesn't belong to anybody, it belongs to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if I'm detecting in Gary's garden and I find a gold bracelet, like the, the bracelet in gold alone would be worth thousands. As, as an artifact, it might be worth lo- lots and lots more. But the basic premise is that that doesn't belong to me or it doesn't belong to Gary, it belongs to the people of Ireland. Does that open it up to the people? Finding it and melting it down or anything like that? Does well, that I mean, you, you, there are lads with loads of stuff in the room now and I'm like, I'm not bringing this yeah. to the museum. The problem, I suppose the problem for those people is you can't sell Irish stuff. Like, occasionally Irish stuff might come up at an auction house abroad and you would have people keeping an eye on that and once they realise it they will say what's the provenance of that yeah, okay. if it's over a certain amount if it was in private hands before this legislation came in it's locked in and that's fine and you can buy and sell old antiquities from Ireland that were already sort of grandfathered into the system but if new stuff is found legit buyers won't buy it no no uh, it'll be taken off the market and it'll have to be repatriated to Ireland and I think it's a really good premise and I I wish more countries would undertake it because I mean I remember seeing this beautiful gold torque this is a a necklace that was found in England it was found by a metal detectorist and the landowner and the detectorist were putting it up for sale and you had a local museum who were scrabbling trying to collect the funds to keep this beautiful artifact from a place in the place and instead it went into private hands I think and like that could be it gone forever it goes into somebody's mantelpiece halfway across the world and that's the end of that and the, like a metal detectorist okay. they're getting very rowdy in the back they're road lads very, aren't, they? aren't they sorry yeah. Billy a, a, a detectorist like okay you went out and found it but you didn't really do anything to earn that and the landowner definitely didn't do anything to earn that so I love the principle that you know, when I find something, and uh, not by metal detecting because you need a license to do it, but if I'm digging a hole and I find a gold bracelet, let's say, in the garden, like, 
it's my duty to report it to the National Museum. It goes up. Sometimes they give you a smaller order. Um, I would hope so, yeah. they, they would give you, um, yeah, they do, but they, they give you uh, recognition. But the, the thing about it is, once that goes into the collection, you can write to the museum and you can ask, can you see it? And they let you in, usually on a Monday when it's closed, and they bring you down to the vaults and you put on your acid-proof gloves and you can examine the thing and you can look at it because it's yours yeah. and it's mine and it's everybody's. Yeah. And that as a principle, I think, is really good. Nice, yeah. And it, it gives us, I think, like... But by not allowing people to make any kind of financial reward from it, does that not limit the amount of people that will go out looking? Yeah. Should, should we not be encouraging people no. to get out there with metal detectors no. and find things? Do we, we have, like, the museum is bursting with stuff. We don't need any more stuff. And of course, it's always great to find stuff, but unless it's taken out properly, yeah, leave it. Yeah, damaged as well. Yeah. Because, like, I suppose that, that leaves the whole, like, if, if, if that premise was there where it was just a free for all. Yeah. There'd be nothing left in the ground at this particular time yeah. because every fella'd be out there digging holes left, right, and centre. Whereas they now would. there's still discovery to be had. Yeah, you know, years down the road, people will still be discovering stuff. Like I suppose. when you when you dig something up, if we don't know where it came from, it's it's a free floating piece and has nothing to tell us about the past. Yeah, right. It's just a, 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 an artifact with no context. It's an artifact, and we know nothing. We can't say very much about it. But as well, like. But if you bring it to the museum, like people will know. Yeah, and they report yeah. the fine spot, and usually, if it's something substantial, they will go, they will have a look at it, and they could excavate and find all kinds of things. Like when you know what you're doing, mm. you know, you wouldn't let somebody who isn't a surgeon hack open your body. True. So yeah. you should let people who are qualified to know what they're doing open up the earth and see what's inside, because. You know, the notion of treasure hunting, you're looking for precious metals and all of that. That's where the value is on the international market, blah, blah, blah. Like, you might find things made of organic material yeah. or carved bone or pieces of leather that could tell us infinitely more than this little piece of metal. But if you don't know what you're looking at, you'll stick a shovel through all yeah, of that. Yeah, makes sense. Digging for treasure. Yeah. Whereas sometimes the organic stuff has so much more to tell especially us. Especially the Stone Age. Especially, that's a stone. You yeah. know, other people would, the, the archer go, that's clearly something they kill out. Kill you know, whatever animal at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, if tomorrow I went out and was digging the garden, I've taught, I found something. What do I do to a contact? You contact the National Museum yeah. straight away. And, they just let them know. and they'll look after. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll give you a form. If it's a thing that you've already uncovered, they'll give you a form. If they think it's something it's a bit like ET. I'm keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> no way! I mean, All the big boys come around. No way! I mean, I'm keeping this tower brooch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to go. Did you did you ever see that um <laughs> that case of it was it was a, I think it was a range like the one here in the corner. Um, someone was clearing out the grate of the range and they found a brooch they found a bronze brooch in the ashes and what they reckoned it had been the in the turf, turf oh, and it, it, wow. it survived the fire no way. yeah so they, they dug this this who owns that then uh, again the museum, the museum would that's how it ended up in museum hands. I know about the bag of turf though it'd probably be yeah. fairly thick wouldn't it he'd be yeah but <laughs> I mean again once you have it unless you just keep it in your mantelpiece you yeah. can't do anything of with course, it of course yeah, yeah you can't sell it I because it'll, you'll eventually get rumbled hopefully if the system works but look, I just, I just think as a basic principle, the notion that it doesn't belong to you yeah. or you or you yeah. belongs to everybody. Yeah, that's and it gives us a stake in all of it. And you're saying, is, is Ireland unique in that sense? I don't know how unique we are, but I know they don't have the same kind of thing in the UK and in a lot of countries because you get a lot of metal detectoring in other countries as well. Yeah. And look, frankly, I, I think people are always saying, oh, but we learned so much about detectoring. Like archaeological best practices, leave it in the ground until you can get it out using proper techniques yeah. and I think that's fine like there's no end of stuff that we already have yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. you know you go to the museum and you see they obviously put the best mm. on show but they have but I mean you can go to the Ash Memorial in Tralee hundreds of and, thousands of pieces and they have like in there. pieces yeah. in there like uh, did I still have that in there no yeah yeah, 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 and there's stuff in there that's mm. like it's it's going to be as fascinating as anything you mm. come across or yeah. see anywhere else, and that's one little museum in Tralee Town, like yeah, and it's only a tiny fraction of yeah. what's actually in the National Museum in mm. the archives there d downstairs in the vaults. Um, so then there's, like, there's no I'm shortage not, of stuff. But then I be I wouldn't. Some people might be like, oh, just any amount of stuff in the museum and stuff. I'll just keep this for myself. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe and you know, there might be one or two heads like yeah, that. Yeah, like, they do. People do. People Fred's do. Fred's going to be on his hands and knees now in the gardens, you know. right, with the, with, with, with the coal shovel. But I guess, I guess, right, it's just about how much investment you have in heritage and in the yeah, past. And yeah. if if we continue in terms of education, we continue to imbue people with a sense of 
what that the past can tell us something about where we are now and give us a sense of identity and all of that kind of stuff we become the stakeholders we become the people who are invested in our own past and and that you know might make us a bit more conducive to picking up the phone and ringing the museum and saying listen I have this piece and I think it's pretty cool and I think you'd be interested in it I just think it's a wonderful principle um, the notion that it belongs to us all but you know what you can keep when you go picking are mushrooms (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can keep all the mushrooms you want lads they don't last very long (laughs) no they don't they wouldn't last long in the ground (laughs) wouldn't last long in your pocket no one carries around little hoover yeah Will you get away with that? Billy, thanks a million for coming over. An absolute pleasure. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. Great. Always great. Yeah, yeah, really appreciate it. What's Billy. the next dates that we should be aware of for like the Pagan Rave and if you want if you wanted to go to it or um, Maybank holiday weekend. Okay. Is the next one. Okay. Yeah. Definitely let's go. Get there, guys. Def- Anyone listening to this. Yeah, yeah, go to Dingle, Just check show it out. Up to Dingle on the Maybank holiday weekend and you'll find us. You'll do find you, it. Do you, to, do you ask we'll people to bring anything or do anything or uh, if you're coming, dress up. Okay. Okay. Not dress up. Not, not your typical um, high heels and oh, fishnets. Wear high heels and fishnets if you want. But uh, ask though, you're all right. Just think <laughs> a different party. Just think, I don't know, Wicker Man or the last scene of Kill List or something you like that. Just get go- spooky. Google just get it. spooky Google and weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Google it, you see the book. Yeah. People and make work. up your own. You know, it's a creative exercise. First yeah. and foremost, a creative exercise. So make up your own stuff. Right. I think I think we're all meeting up for a few beers this coming weekend anyway, aren't we? You 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 down? You coming over? Yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, so nice. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. fantastic.